Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash Lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless and welcome to the State of the Union podcast. When we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. Uh, all right, so this week we'll be talking about what, what can only be described as the craziness and the wonderful craziness that is the MLS playoffs. Uh, we'll be looking at all the goals and the referee decisions and the shootouts and the mayhem and the chaos that is uh, MLS playoffs. We'll also be doing a European roundup. Where we'll be talking a little bit of uh, obviously EPL and going on over there and Ibra, Liverpool, Aland. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, what else? Uh, some Belushi talk uh, and some hummingbird talk. We'll get to that too. Uh, but first, joining me as always, my friend, my colleague, and my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this Monday, November 23rd in the year 2020? And before you answer, I would just like to remind everybody of, of David Mossy's affinity and love and support and steadfastness uh, in terms of that support of the Wolverines of the University of Michigan. Mossy, how are you? I am doing well. Uh, I don't know how many games uh, Michigan uh, is going to win this season, but uh, they won the one game I absolutely needed them to win for my sanity this past weekend. So your Wolverines of, uh, of Michigan took on my Scarlet Knights of Exit 9 off the Turnpike uh, over there in Jersey. Now, please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I get most of my information from Rob Stone, so it could very well be wrong. He could just be telling me stuff. But when the season started, uh, when it came to Rutgers, as, as is kind of normal, we didn't have great expectations, although... When we started off and we beat, uh, who was it, Michigan State, everyone thought everything was going to be great. And, you know, we've kind of reverted to the mean and we're still Rutgers, right? So we're a proverbial punching bag, if you will, for some bigger clubs out there, as opposed to Michigan, where there's always an expectation that they're going to be around. That's That, 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 that notion was quickly dispelled early on. And so you get up against Rutgers. And once again, even Rutgers in 2020 is a game that you should win. Now, 
you, you left it late, but ultimately you got the win. What was interesting to me is the way that your team celebrated as if you had won the Super Bowl. No, you don't win the Super Bowl in college, right? You win uh, whatever the bowl is, some sort of bowl out there or the final four, right? You'd act like you've been there before, Mossy. I mean, this was, I, I think that this was embarrassing for not just your football team, but for your, and I'll say it's a fine institution, for the fine institution that is the University of Michigan. Thoughts on this game, Mossy? Congratulations, by the way, buddy. Yeah, a week after I mocked uh, Scottish fans for over-celebrating qualifying for the Euros, <laughs> uh, my school put on an over-celebrating uh, clinic there because I agree with you. That was maybe the low point in the history of Michigan football, more so even than the defeats this season, is how, how excited we were about a triple overtime victory over Rutgers. So, yeah, no, this season is still a disaster. We may have found a quarterback in Cade McNamara, but it's amazing how quickly the future of Michigan football went from McCaffrey to Milton to now McNamara. There's this kid, J.J. McCarthy, coming in next season who's this five-star recruit, so he's supposed to be the second coming. Who the heck knows? But he's got to find a quarterback and settle on him for a couple of years, and maybe it'll be McNamara now. We'll see. Now you're already thinking to next season. I, I was actually, I was, um, I was with Rob Stone this morning. We were getting our, uh, our COVID testing. And so he, I always try to pick his brain for the, the college football stuff that I just don't understand. Now there's no way in hell that your Wolverines are getting in the top four. That's that, 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 uh, that final four, right. But you you still could go to a bowl, whatever the bowl season does look like in 2020, 2021. Right. I mean, you're still holding out hope for a bowl appearance, right? Uh, well, to answer your first question, no, we will not be in any college football playoff this season. I, I don't even know how the bowls work this year, to be honest. I haven't read the fine print on it, but uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, so this season's done. This season's well, done. Well, we, right. we, you know, we have the Ohio State game coming up next month, and Rob Stone is trying to sell me on, oh, hey, maybe you could salvage this whole thing by pulling off a stunner in Columbus that day. Uh, I that would. So. I mean, that would. I mean, it doesn't solve all the problems, but that would be a nice little Band-Aid for the season, right? I mean given what Ohio state's in the top four, I think. Right. So, all right, well, we got that to look forward to. Who you know knows? the expression crazier things have happened. Uh, it doesn't apply here. That would literally be the craziest thing that's ever <laughs> happened. If this Michigan team were to go into Columbus and beat Ohio state. All right. What else Mossy? What are you watching or listening to out there? Continuing on the crown season four, which is just outstanding. As I've told you, this is, we're up to the eighties. So this is um, a season with princess Diana and Margaret Thatcher. There was an episode I watched a couple nights ago. I never knew this story that some random guy snuck into Buckingham palace um, and <laughs> walked right into the queen's bedroom. Uh, somehow got past all the security. Uh, the guy named Michael Fagan, uh, incredible story. Then, you know, the great thing about the crown is every episode then sends me to Wikipedia where I do this deep dive to see what's real, what's not. Uh, so thoroughly. So hold on, that. hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So our, our prized researcher and analyst and savant when it comes to details uh, and information and facts, when he wants to get to the bottom of the right? Well, anybody can post on Wikipedia. So, you know, you're getting the best information. Possible. <laughs> Um, and and then, uh, by the way, that's a little office reference. I don't know if you're a fan of that, Joe. But, uh, and then also continuing to watch The Undoing, which is this uh, HBO uh, show with Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman. Last night was episode five out of six. And there was uh, something of a twist at the very end, which, to be honest, is one that I was prepared for because Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald, who do this terrific pop culture podcast for The Ringer called The Watch, they predicted weeks ago who they thought the killer was actually going to be. All right, be. well, don't tell me. I, I, this is, it's in my, it's in my, don't, wait, don't so, give it away. Uh, it actually took a little bit of a sting from me out of what was supposed to be this earth shattering plot twist. Nevertheless, terrific show. And uh, the finale is next Sunday. I can't wait. 
Nice, nice. All right, I got I got two things uh, in my in my list. Did I did I talk about the hummingbird project last week? I don't recall. I don't think so. I don't think I did. So it, it's this movie came out a couple of years ago. Uh, it's it's not great, but in 2020, we don't care if anything's great. We just want something to take up a couple of hours of your time. And, and this certainly does. It's about high frequency trading um, and really low latency type of, of situation uh, when it comes to fiber optic cable. Uh, and so so look, the, the, the faster that you can get information, especially in this information age, the more potential it has to be valuable and the more you can monetize it. And so basically this is a movie about these guys who uh, set about to try to lay uh, fiber optic uh, cable from like Kansas City to New Jersey, which is where in New Jersey is where the stock market uh, has its 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 technical type of uh, uh, place where everything goes to. All, all, all that doesn't, I, I didn't really explain that very well, but ultimately that, that cable would enable them to get ahead of everybody else in the matter of milliseconds in, in terms of getting information. And they would do that in mass and therefore be able to monetize that. Uh, and it's about their you know, their journey uh, of having to actually lay cable through hundreds and hundreds of miles and going through people's backyard, not through it, but underneath people's backyards and obviously getting permission and all of that. It's not, it's not the greatest movie, but it re- is really interesting because it obviously brings up, you know, this question of, you know, how you can find ways uh, to get information faster and in this information age. So I, I do recommend it just because I think it's interesting. It's not the greatest movie in the world, but like I said, two hours out of your time, it stars, uh, uh, what's his name? Jesse Eisenberg. You remember him from um, the the Facebook movie, whatever that was. Social network. Social network. There you go. So, uh, and then the other one was, and well, so that one's on Netflix. And then the other one is a documentary called Belushi. Um, uh, John Belushi, uh, one of the famous comedians out there. It goes through his life and uh, his life, and that just came on uh, Showtime right now. And it's really interesting in the way that they use interviews and, and telephone calls from a whole list of. Uh, of celebrities and people and non-celebrities out there to kind of tell this story of this this tortured genius who ultimately died early, but you know tells his story from a young age uh, and then all through his uh, his incredible uh, Hollywood stardom and just a, a a wonderful talent, but also a uh, you know a very interesting interesting guy and like a lot of comedians had some real demons and some real problems. And so that's, that I, do, I definitely do recommend that. That's, uh, that's an interesting one. So those are the two things, uh, the, the two things right now. What was the Nicole Kidman one that you said again? Uh, the Undoing. The Undoing. All right, so I got that. I just wanted to make sure I wrote that one down. And you, you said it has one more episode or two more episodes to come, right? Uh, one more, yeah. All right, so I can, I can, I can, I could binge it. I could start it. All right, enough about our uh, viewing and, uh, and watching habits. You ready to light this candle? Yep. All right, we are going to start right off with the craziness and the beautiful chaos that is the MLS playoffs. I love the MLS playoffs. I, I love what it what it brings us, especially now when these are just one-off types of games. And look, I've been around for a long time, so I've seen the the ebbs and flows and the ups and downs and the different twists and turns that the MLS playoffs have taken. And it, it, it is it has taken on so many different forms over the years, whether it's home and away or whether it's best of three. Um, and obviously with the different conferences and everything like that, uh, it, it's come down to these 
uh, one-off games, which I think puts more emphasis and more pressure, uh, and therefore I think makes them better games. And I, I'm hard pressed to find people out there right now. And it's not just about this year, but people right now that are looking and saying that, that, that this is not the right way to go. I think that they have hit upon something that's going to last at least for a while right now with these one-off games. It makes what you do in the regular season that much more important uh, and the benefit uh, that you find out in, uh, in the playoffs uh, right now, most of the, I think we talked about this last week about how much of a home field advantage there was going to be in 20 without most teams not playing without uh, uh, crowds and stuff. And we've seen that the home teams have, have basically, they almost swept, not completely, but they almost swept in terms of the games up until today. There's still games that are coming tomorrow. We were recording this on a Monday. There's still games that are coming coming tomorrow. Mossy, where would you like to start when it comes to Major League Soccer? Shall we, shall we start over uh, with the, the play-in round uh, and then go from there? Sure, absolutely. Okay, so the play-in round, you know, this was, you know, two interesting types of games with Nashville hosting Miami, and we know these are two of the expansion teams. Nashville didn't have a problem. It wasn't with a, with a, you know, a, a smoke and a coffee or anything like that. But look, they, they, they had no problem dispatching of uh, Miami. Now, having said that, we also know that Miami was without multiple players because of, of COVID. And so while, while they beat Miami, they didn't really beat Miami. Uh, and, and look, I know that I'm not, I'm, that's not, I'm not saying that you don't deserve it. You play the team that is there. Uh, and Nashville, well done. They are a well-oiled machine that understand exactly who they are and aren't. And so they continue on and they get to face uh, Toronto, a game that actually we will be doing on uh, FS1 on, uh, on Tuesday. Uh, anything about the Nashville Miami game, Mossy? No, I mean, my, my overall thought on both games, I know you haven't gotten to, why don't you talk about New England? Right, well, so so New, England, uh, New England, Montreal, uh, that was the game actually we, we did on, uh, on Fox. New England left it late, but ultimately New England was playing with all of their uh, designated players uh, for the first time in a, in a, in a long time. And, in the playoffs, you need your big players, and your big players are often your designated players to step up, and that's exactly what happened with uh, Carlos Heel and Gustavo Bo uh, and these types of players making their impact. And ultimately, uh, at the at the death, New England got the two to one victory, uh, and they will go on, and they will actually go uh, to Philadelphia to face uh, Philadelphia in what I guess we're calling round one because these were the play-in games. All right, anything uh, on the play-in uh, round, Mossy? Well, that's exactly where I was going to go on DPs. Um, MLS teams, they're spending more money and they've just gotten smarter about the kinds of DPs they sign. Uh, teams have figured out which kinds of players succeed in this league. And, and yeah, we made a lot of the fact that it was only the fourth time this season that New England had all three of their DPs, uh, Carlos Hill, uh, Gustavo Bo, and, and Buxa. And uh, two of them came up huge. Uh, Carlos Hill scored a terrific volley in the, in the first half, and then Gustavo Bo with an excellent stoppage time winner. Um, and then Nashville, uh, Randall Leal, who uh, they chartered a plane to get him back from international duty. He scores an absolute whopper of a goal, which sent them on their way. And even, uh, I don't want to jump too far ahead to Sonny, but um, I, I thought Christian Espinoza, who is San Jose's record signing, was terrific in, in a losing effort for them. And Alan Polito didn't play, but we know how good he's been for sure. Sporting KC all season. He's their record signing. So it just shows you uh, throughout the weekend. Reynoso, too, has uh, brought a whole different dimension to Minnesota's attack. So it just shows that these DPs that teams are signing now, they're, they're, they're getting bang for their buck. They're, they're proving to be much better investments. They're really elevating the quality of those teams and, frankly, elevating the quality of the whole league. 
I, I do want to say this before we move away from the, the play in round, because it, it applies to uh, to Miami. And, you know, I had tweeted this out over the weekend after uh, Miami lost uh, to Nashville. And a lot of people then associated and, and inferred that I was talking about someone like Nashville. Look, we know that we have, quote unquote, big clubs, middle-sized clubs and smaller clubs. Some of them, some of them are, are, are smaller or middle-sized relative to the market that they are in and certainly the decisions that they make. And there's some little clubs that act like big clubs and there's some big clubs that act like uh, little clubs. When it comes to someone like Miami, um, you know, I, I do think that it needs to be said that, look, we can, we, we can make fun of them. And that's kind of human nature to make fun of when big teams uh, fail, especially if they're not your team. But Major League Soccer, uh, like any league, to be quite honest, they need um, these big, bold, and yeah, I'm going to use the word arrogant teams like Inter, Inter Miami. And as I said, I know it's it's human nature to to revel in the failures of these big, bold uh, super clubs, um, and and that's okay. They're the ones that all you know spend a lot more money than others, but you know. MLS teams that are those big spenders in this league, they, they, I, I think that they are more important to the league's growth than the teams that are frugal and succeed. And it doesn't mean that those teams that are frugal and, and do succeed don't deserve credit uh, and, and aren't of value. But ultimately, what's going to drive this? And, and look, you want you want it both going on. You want people spending a lot of money and spending it smart, but that doesn't always happen. And I would rather have people with that ambition uh, and with that arrogance spending money and it not working out than the opposite, because I do think that that helps drive, uh, drive the league going forward. And so like a team like Miami, they're going to go back and they're going to lick their wounds and they're going to come back next year. And I hope that they aren't daunted. I hope that they continue to do some big things and think big in terms of the things that they want to do, because that not just makes them better, but it makes the league better. Whether some of those smaller teams want to admit it or not, and guess what? They do admit it privately. It is important. And there are teams that kind of sit on the shoulders and hang on the back of others that do that do much more, and you're always going to have a spectrum of uh, of teams out there. So I just wanted to say that uh, about Miami. All right, Mossy, uh, into uh, in, into round one. You already mentioned the importance of the the designated players uh, out there. What games stood out to you? Um, and I, should we, should we go right to Orlando or what? Sure, let's do it. All right, so let's do it. So, <laughs> all right, Orlando. Okay, uh, Orla- <laughs> Orlando hosting NYCFC. First off, by the way, Mossy, we know that Florida are, are, it's a very different type of state and they do things differently than the rest of the country and the rest of the world. But there were times when I was watching that Orlando game, it was basically like we were playing in 2019, just in kind of normal times with the amount of people in the stands, again, people without their shirts, no masks, people singing and throwing and screaming and probably spitting all over the place. Now, it kind of, in one sense, it, it, it was great because it, it provided a little taste of that atmosphere and, and that normalcy that, that it, we've almost forgotten. And it, and it does make such a huge a difference. Now, the other side of it is, is you know, whether 
whether it was appropriate uh, and whether there are going to be problems that come out of it. And that's, that's another conversation, uh, but it is part of the conversation. Uh, so it, it was, it was an electric type of environment, even without the stadium full, but there were, there were people there. And this Orlando team that has used 2020 to kind of come out and say, no, we're not your, we're not, we're not your father's Orlando anymore. We are very, very different. Uh, and they ultimately end up going through now that they went through isn't kind of the story. Um, it's how they went through and how this game ultimately uh, ended. Orlando with uh, a red card, so with 10 men for, let's say, the last third of the game, um, and were able to take NYCFC into, uh, into, into a shootout. And that's where all hell broke loose. That's where <laughs> the MLS chaos ensued. All right. So you want me to explain this or you want to explain this? No, you can go ahead. But no, you, well, let me you, let you do it. You're, you're good at well, this. Well, look, explain the whole uh, sequence of events. I mean, yes. look, the, the, I just the, don't want to miss larger, anything. The larger issue here, I, I'm going to assume that anybody listening to this podcast has some general idea of what happened. But the larger issue here is that MLS often straddles this line between good wacky and bad wacky. Mm -hmm. And you clearly felt like that was good wacky because as soon as that game ended, you were firing off tweets. That was awesome. Yes. And you were met with a cascade of responses from people saying, no, it wasn't Alexi. That was embarrassing. Yeah. It damaged the credibility of the league. And that became sort of the prevailing narrative for the next 24 hours or so. And I know that kind of annoyed you a little bit. You, 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 on Sunday, you came into to work a little bit fuming it over just, that. And so. It just, <laughs> it just showed again, the, the insecurity uh, and the inferiority complex that we have. And look, I'm not saying that that any um, that, that that any press is good press. I, I I get it. I don't want to go out there and set ourselves apart. I don't want to do things that are going to bring the MLS's image either domestically or internationally because you know things are international. I don't want to do things that are going to damage that. I mean, we already just because we are a North American league, we we are going to suffer. Uh, when people compare and when people look at it. And so anything that you do that is going to uh, reaffirm or confirm their beliefs about the, the problems we have either on or off the field, I get it. I get it. That's not, that's not good. But in this instance, uh, and I said this on air the other day, I would have much rathered that what happened happened, even with the controversy, even, even with the consternation that this makes us look bad. I would much rather have had Orlando go through in that type of scenario with that type of spectacle that, by the way, did go viral and was picked up all over the world than just a ho-hum type of win that went on that really nobody took any notice. And so maybe I am saying in that moment that any press is good press and even the the risk of looking bad because of the decisions that were made. Uh, and what we're talking about obviously is the referee decisions and uh, the inability to, to have the laws at their disposal uh, and at their fingertips. Ultimately, they got it right, okay? Everything was, was, was done correctly, ultimately. It's just how they got there. And uh, you know, it should be mentioned that uh, our own Dr. Joe broke on, uh, on our air that this referee crew will not be involved in anything going forward when it comes to, uh, to Major League Soccer. So there are repercussions. Uh, there are consequences to this failure and to their actions and to their, I guess it's mistakes, even though ultimately a mistake wasn't made but a mistake was made in the way that they handled the situation. And that, that, that is important. 
And I, I, I get that. I also understand that these are human beings, okay? And they ultimately got they ultimately got decision wrong, but the way that they went about doing it was not a good look for pro, the professional referee uh, um, association that we have out there, or obviously Major League Soccer. And so there are going to be these, the, these types of uh, effects that happen. But having said that, the drama and the theater and the debate and the interest that it generated in this game, I would, I don't know, I, I would much rather have that. I, I enjoyed it. Did you not enjoy it? No, I did. I understand where you're coming from. I think we should separate things because the Galassi stuff they got right and in a relatively prompt fashion. Now you can quibble with the rule. You can question why is MLS still operating under the old laws of the game, but letter of the law, they got that right. So to me, no issues there. Uh, where the problems uh, began was first off, allowing the substitution to be made with the backup goalkeeper. He warms up, he gets in goal. The kicker comes up, it's seconds away from taking it. And then they realize, uh oh, actually this, this, substitution wasn't allowed and, and we have to undo this that was bad and then but okay they figured that out in time and they corrected that the the really really bad part for me was the referee clearly losing track of the shootout and everybody acting like Orlando had won before they did that was kind of embarrassing for the league uh and it wasn't just the referees it was the players it was the announcers on Unimas so I mean uh, by the way but, one but, person but, who did but, not but uh, your your embarrassment okay for the league and I know I'm inferring things here, but it's because you think that this couldn't possibly happen someplace else. <laughs> you you think that because the United States and Canada aren't soccer first type of countries and cultures, that this couldn't possibly happen. There couldn't possibly be referees out there who lose track of uh, the amount of uh, kicks that have been, uh, been taken. And that's where I have an issue. By the way, I should clarify that um, this referee crew will, know, will not referee any of the games uh, uh, further games in this season doesn't mean they're not eligible but you know they're going to get punished and and that's fine and I, I think that that's fair and acceptable for them to face the consequences of uh, uh, of what they created in that moment but my point is that a lot of people associated this and put this up on a pedestal to portray something that either they very uh, very overtly, say, or they just hide, and now this is the opportunity for them to say, that this perfectly embodies why the United States and Canada and our soccer culture, okay, isn't as good as the rest of the world, that we could possibly have something like this happening. You're, you know, you're not saying that this couldn't happen anywhere else, are you? Uh, no, it could happen uh, elsewhere. Now, one guy who uh, did get it right, I was told, was Ian Joy on the Yes Network, who right away, as Orlando is jumping up and down celebrating, he's saying, I don't know what they're celebrating for. Their shootout is not over. So kudos to our uh, former colleague who showed again why he's one of the best in the business. He kept his cool in that chaos and, and, and was completely on top of it. So, but, but I, what, what I don't understand is, um, what if you were a referee, and before the final kick is taken, the team goes and celebrates and they went right running around, you know, uh, Schlegel in goal, uh, the field player went in goal and made the save and they're screaming and yelling and all that kind of stuff. What would you like that referee to do? Well, I mean, his, his body language and actions let everybody believe he was confused about it too and thought the shootout was over. And then somebody buzzed him and said, no, it's not. Is, was that, that wasn't your interpretation of the events? I, I did not see his body language and, and <laughs> actions. And 
I don't think that anybody on Orlando was looking at the body language and actions of the ref of the referee. Now, I, I, now, would I have liked it and would have been like a, a mic drop moment for the referee crew just to stand there and not do anything? But that doesn't stop the other team from uh, from celebrating. And by the way, we are all watching this from whatever pictures we are we are we are given by by television and that's why those of us on television we kind of get to write the story the way that we see it and ultimately the way that that we want it and it doesn't necessarily tell the the full story when it comes uh, when it comes to something like this but look i i know there are people listening to this right now that say no that was bad alexi and how can you possibly uh, defend that well i i just explained to you why i think it's okay uh now, it's not something that you that you want. It's not something that you want to happen on a continual basis. But I I enjoy the theater and I enjoy the entertainment uh, of something like this. It's also not something that you go about and proactively try to manufacture. And this was this was organic. This game is now historic. This game is now historic because of the, you know, the, the goalkeeper, the, the field player going in and saving it. They're selling his jersey now on, on, online. This, but this game is also historic because of all of that drama and all of that cover, color and flavor and good and bad. That's all part of it. And there will be many, many years from now that you will remember that game. And lots of people will remember that game. And many, many more will remember that game because of ultimately what uh, happened. So I, I just don't think that it's as big a deal uh, as other people do. And as in, I said before- In conclusion, you subscribe to the easy philosophy. Any publicity is good publicity. Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know about any publicity. <laughs> but, but this type, this, what happened here, I don't look at it as detrimental, as, as, or as detrimental as a lot of people uh, do out there. MLS is going to be fine. You're not changing anybody's mind. There's, no, there's nobody that was an MLS fan that saw this and now is so disgusted that they're not going to continue to follow. And more importantly, I guess, I don't think that there's anybody that was a potential MLS fan that now saw this and it confirmed their suspicions. And now there's no possible way that they could follow a league that, uh, that allows something like this, uh, like this to happen. All right. Uh, enough of that game, but, but also congratulations to Orlando. They go through against NYCFC and they continue this, uh, this run and this beautiful run that is, uh, that is 2020. And to any of the referees that are listening out there, you are humans and you all recognize that your job comes with a level of scrutiny uh, and it comes with consequences to the actions uh, that you take. And just like, you know, I don't like, I don't, like a goalkeeper, you may have the best game ever, but you ultimately judged on that one error or what is perceived as an error. And that, you know, it comes with the territory. You got to have a really thick skin to be a referee. This referee crew will be better because of this when they do ultimately come back, if they do ultimately come back uh, uh, next season. And they're going to take their medicine now and they understand exactly why they're, uh, they're being punished, I guess it is. But they are, uh, they are human beings. And until we have ro robots refereeing, which maybe isn't too far uh, around the corner, we are going to get humans that will act humanly and we'll be fallible, and we'll make mistakes, and maybe we'll lose track of the count when it comes to a shootout. Uh, all right, Mossy, uh, other uh, other games that uh, piqued your interest? 
Well, the game we did yesterday was absolutely phenomenal. Sporting KC San Jose. It featured my favorite goal of the playoffs so far, which was the SKC go-ahead goal. That little backheel flip from Shelton to Buzio was absolutely genius. But then San Jose come back. Uh, last play of the game, Juan Olowski gets an equalizer. There was some refereeing controversy there. Did you think seven minutes of stoppage time was too many? He had initially indicated four, and then SKC scored their goal. They did a lot of celebrating. They did a little bit of time-wasting after that, and so he felt compelled to tack on another three more minutes after that. Did you have an issue with that? I almost will never, ever uh, criticize a referee because they add too much time. I mean, look, if I'm playing, obviously I'm going to criticize it, but just watching a game because I always was of the opinion that not enough time was added and that, uh, and that the amount of time that is wasted in the game, if you actually added it all up would be so much more than what we normally see. So I had no problem at all with the referee in terms of the time uh, that, that was added. And like you said, it was, it was drama. Uh, you, you think in one instance that 17-year-old Busio has won the game for Sporty KC uh, and uh, he's going to ride off into the sunset. But you know what? Legends are legends for a reason. And Chris Wondolowski is that legend. And I, and I said on air the other day that he's a legend not just for the goals that he scores, but for the person that he is on and off the field. Incredible competitor. Not the strongest guy. Uh, certainly not the fastest guy. But absolutely one of the deadliest finishers we have ever seen in this league, which is why he is the MLS's all-time leading uh, goal scorer uh, when it comes to MLS games. And uh, he finds a way at the end. You're not marking him in the box. And in that, in that final minute of the added time, he finds a way to put it in and we're three, three, and we're going to uh, uh, two fifteens. Now, Masi, are you like me that do you get excited now for these uh, these extra times that we play? I, I feel like if we get 90 minutes, I don't need the extra 30 minutes, to be quite honest with you. I, I kind of want to get to the drama and the theater of the penalties and, and skip that 15 minutes. So when I'm watching that 15 minutes, unless I have a vested interest in the team, I don't want either team to score or if they or or both of them can can score because I kind of want that that ending of the penalties at that point. Interesting. So were you a fan of the golden goal and the silver goal and all that? Or I was, yeah, I was, I was a fan of the uh, the golden goal, silver goal. No, I I I like the sudden death aspect of something like that, but the two fifteens, it's just get me to that end now, uh, and it's much more from a. <laughs> from an entertainment perspective, uh, that, that I want the penalties. I feel like, I feel a little let down when somebody scores and then wins within that, that 30 minutes of play. You're not, you're not like me though. It's funny. I asked a trivia question in the control room this weekend. What's the only silver goal that's ever been scored at a major international tournament and nobody could get it. It was Greece against the Czech Republic in the Euro 2004 semifinals. But, uh, nevertheless, do you remember the 2014 world cup quarterfinals in Brazil, what Louis van Hall did bringing on Tim cruel in the 120th minute, uh, for him to be in goal for a shootout against Costa Rica. And then he ended up m making saves and they won the shootout. Do you remember all that? Yes, yes. I bring that up because 
I've seen this suggested in the last 12 hours, and it, it sounds crazy, but maybe it's not. If the U.S. Uh, does qualify for the 2022 World Cup or, or really any major international tournament that they play, do you think they should consider bringing Tim Millia as a third string goalkeeper just to have in case uh, any of their matches go to penalties and you can do what Louis van Gaal did in that instance. It, do you think he's that good where it's, it's worth using that roster spot on a guy who's just a shootout specialist for that situation? Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting question. Yeah. He is, <laughs> he is a penalty specialist, but he's a penalty specialist, obviously because of his track record, which is ridiculous. And and if you didn't watch the game, ultimately when it went to penalties, he, <laughs> I mean, he, he stopped three in a row. They didn't even have to get to five. All right. He stopped the first three that he's that, that, uh, that San Jose shot. And he is, he is the penalty whisperer. And, and, and I don't know how he does it. My, my problem would be, um, or my concern would be, is this a guy just on an incredible streak and on an incredible role? And as soon as you actually try to harness that, you know, if a guy's or, or, or a girl's winning at a table, as soon as you try to do anything and change that scenario up, immediately they're going to go cold. I mean, I, I mean, that's the that's sample what I worry size about. now is pretty legit. I don't, I don't know if this is a good streak he's on. I mean, this is like years and years, okay, several shootouts. Okay. And- then, then, then to your point, yes, I would have no problem if that's, <laughs> I mean, that would be amazing going to a World Cup as the, as the penalty specialist. That's all you're there for. And look, it's not as if he can't save the ball. He actually, uh, he made an incredible save on Chris Wondolowski uh, that kept his team in the game and then enabled them to go. I mean, it's just, he is a very, very good goalkeeper. Um, Yes, yes. To answer your question, yes. I think that that would be something to consider um, given the fact that at some point in a World Cup, it might be the difference between going on and going home. And if you have somebody that is, obviously has a track record and good at it, yeah, I'd want I'd want him uh, there. And by the way, I couldn't agree with you more on the stoppage time. I think we get so used to referees underdoing it that when a referee actually does it correctly, it feels like too much. But really, if you add up all the the, the goal celebrations, the substitutions, the injuries, the time wasting, VAR reviews, and whatnot, I mean, uh, you could definitely find seven minutes in that second half. That that was not a stretch to me at all. And 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 you're right. I mean, generally, I I kind of think that referees underdo it on the stoppage time front. So. Uh, yeah, no, no, no issues with me on that. On that. Front. All right. So, but ultimately, this all ends up with Sporting KC, the number one seed, going through against the the number eight seed, uh, San Jose. San Jose, I guess, can look at this as a successful season. Uh, TSL Almeida continues to be uh, the, the the just a a professor, uh, maybe a crazy f- professor. You never know that the the chaotic and the uh, the chaos type of play that his team has ascribed to. Okay. I mean, uh, we'll see how long that uh, we'll see how long that lasts. But it was fun, and I do think it was ultimately a successful season for them. We will find out if Wondolowski is truly coming back or not. Uh, we got some word at the end of the game yesterday. Peter Vermes, who we interviewed after the game, mentioned that he was coming back for a year. We have not been able to confirm that uh, yet, but I, I hope I hope we get another year. Hope we get multiple years. He, from a physical perspective, he's good. We've seen he still scores goals. Um, you know, I, I don't know what the appetite is for the San Jose Earthquakes. They might be looking, and this is this interesting case when you have a, a player who is aging and you kind of, in a strange way, as much as you love and respect him, you kind of want to move on, but you can't force him out the door. Uh, and it kind of has to come from him or her. 
and they may begrudgingly say, okay, another year, but it only defers that uh, down the line. Um, Columbus uh, uh, took care of the Red Bulls without a problem, and uh, they move on. And then on the other side, the Loons, speaking of not a problem, took care of Colorado. Oh, that was a strange, strange game. Colorado, I mean, if I look at that game, Colorado could have legit scored four goals on the loons and yet they end up scoring none and minnesota uh cruises on through so congratulations to them anything on those before we move on mossy uh no very impressive for the loons who uh are always uh feeling under respected so uh <laughs> maybe they'll get some respect with this result yeah maybe not maybe not <laughs> uh, okay so we are doing this week uh toronto against nashville we actually just got off the phone with uh one josie altador we just did an interview with him so we'll see if Josie Altador is on the phone, or is on the field, excuse me, uh, which certainly would bolster uh, TFC. Um, and when I say TFC, Toronto FC, I keep in mind that they continue to be playing all of their games in the United States, in Connecticut at uh, Rentschler Stadium there in uh, uh, New Haven, right? Is that where it is? Uh, uh, East Hartford, Connecticut. Hartford, sorry, hey, Hartford, uh, New Haven. Uh, sorry, at uh, East Hartford over there. So if... Toronto FC were to win MLS Cup this year, they would actually uh, be playing it in, uh, well, potentially be playing it in, um, no, if they were to go through, they would, uh, they would play it actually in, in Connecticut. So we'll see uh, how that goes. And we'll talk about all of this because as we said, there's, a, there's plenty of games coming on uh, in the weekdays uh, here and then uh, through the weekend when it comes to uh, MLS playoffs. And we will talk about all of that action. All right, Mossy, anything else? Yes, one more thing. Sure. Uh, Stu Holden is a shameless uh -oh. individual. Uh-oh. You guys did a segment uh, several weeks back in which you identified your contenders and pretenders for mm -hmm. this season. And Stu had Portland as a pretender, and we all questioned him on that. And he's been puffing his chest out uh, in the last uh, 12 hours about the fact that he was right and we were all wrong, and, and Portland did end up being a pretender. But to not recognize that it was all injury uh, related, I'm sorry, but they won the MLS's back tournament. And when they had Blanco healthy and Nias Gota, they were clearly one of the best teams in the league that would have been primed for a deep run in the postseason. And so, I mean, Stu Holden, to, to, to be claiming victory on something like that when it was, it was clearly just down to injuries. But uh, yeah, terrible luck for Portland because when they had all their horses this season, like I said, I thought they were one of the best teams and, and, and I wish they could have gone into the playoffs with, with Blanco and company healthy because they would have been a tough team to stop. Did you just mention MLS is back? Like what that, that, Hey, but Portland comes out of the season with some silverware. Uh, I mean, do, do you, do you give more value to MLS is back or the supporter shield? Um, supporter shield. Yeah, definitely supporter shield. No, I mean, nobody, MLS is back. I totally forgot about MLS is back. <laughs> nobody remembers MLS is back. Come on. Uh, it was it was fun in the moment, and then we've moved on. But Portland, you're 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 not you're not Portland. You're not about MLS's back. You're about MLS cups. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Yeah, but yeah, don't don't, don't worry about it. I know I know that they that they didn't have a lot of their players, and and neither did Miami. And look, we we when I talk about we, I mean like Stu and myself, we make predictions. Some of them work out. Some of them don't. All right. If if you're afraid to be wrong, this is not the business for you. And inevitably, people will remember the ones that you got wrong. So, Stu, you're not going to get any, I guess, if you want it, credit for 
picking uh, picking uh, Dallas over Portland, which by the way, I also did too. <laughs> you know, it's, so just let it go, whatever. Uh, and, and we'll move on. I got plenty of uh, picks ro- uh, wrong also when it comes to uh, when it comes to the MLS uh, playoffs. And I will continue to do so. That's the way it goes. This is the most unpredictable league in the world. Doesn't matter how long you've been following it or, it or not. And, and again, we are, uh, we are seeing that. Uh, all right, we're going to take a real quick break. And when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll do our uh, European roundup. We will be right back. Moving on. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hello, State of the Union listeners. It is Alexi Lawless here to tell you about our brand new Fox Sports app and website, foxsports.com, reimagined for the modern sports fan. Go ahead and download the new app now. You don't even have to pause this episode. Every day on the new app and website, you'll see the top stories in sports, plus a rich world of written content, videos, social media, and analytics to give you a 360-degree view of the most important stories of the day. You can favorite your favorite teams and players so you'll never miss an important update. Streaming live TV has never been so easy or elegant. Every Fox Sports game, including all pregame and postgame shows, are just one click away. For the extra invested fan, we also go deep with real-time wagering lines, trending prop bets, win probability, and key player projections. So download the new Fox Sports app or visit www.foxsports.com. All right, welcome back. Uh, Time for our European roundup here. All sorts of stuff happened over in Europe, Mossy. Where do you want to start? I want to get through this... uh, and I want to give time to a lot of the, the, the big stories. We're not going to go through every single event and every single uh, game out there, but there were some, some big results and some big plays from some big players here. So should we start over in England? Sure. All right. Poor little uh, engine that could. Uh, the poor uh, little team that is Liverpool with all of their injuries and their woes and gosh, this is just such a difficult year for Klopp and company and no Salah and no Van Dyke and no Gomez and no Henderson and stuff like that. And they got to go and play Leicester and uh, they don't miss a beat. Uh, they do not miss a beat. They go and they smack, smack them. Smack them three nothing, right? Milner at right back, and no, oh, I mean it doesn't matter what Klopp throws out there. Somehow you put on that red, you step on that field, and automatically you, as an individual, are elevated to levels unseen, and as a team, you rise above because that's what LFC, LFC is all about, right, Mossy? Oh yeah, you rattled off some impressive names there. They're out, and you left out Alexander Arnold and Tiago. So it, it is quite the injury list they have. And and I did think it was very impressive that they dusted off Leicester the way they did both Jota and Firmino on the score sheet. So I know you're dripping with sarcasm there, but I, I do give Klopp credit. I mean, he's built such a winning culture there that they can just shuffle players in and out and 
And, and that one bizarre loss to Villa, notwithstanding, they continue to churn out the results this season. They're uh, level on points atop the league with Tottenham, who had a massive win this weekend. Well, I mean, I, I only uh, am a little flip and and, uh, and and being a little facetious in that there seems to be a notion out there that uh, that that Liverpool isn't a super club either in the terms of uh, in terms of the the amount of money that they spend, the talent that they have, the size of their club, uh, and that and that somehow they should get uh, they should be treated right now as a middling or middle type of club that is punching above their weight. Uh, and, and so that's the only thing that I may push back on when it comes to, uh, folks, uh, folks out there, but congratulations to Liverpool, uh, <laughs> other, uh, other, uh, notable results uh, when it comes to EPL Moss, you want to talk about? No. So as I just mentioned, uh, Tottenham beat, uh, Manchester city two nil in, uh, what was the latest chapter of the, uh, managerial rivalry between Pep and Mourinho, which before Klopp crashed the party, in recent years, Pep Mourinho was the Messi and Ronaldo of managers, so it's always fascinating to see them go head-to-head. And, you know, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot lately with Pep and trying to make sense of his Champions League failures. Um, there are some coaches that are just better at the macro than the micro. And when I say macro, it's implementing an overall philosophy and identity and getting a team to play good football on a consistent basis, which inexorably leads to a lot of wins. But as far as coming up with that game plan for that specific opponent on that day. They're not as good at that stuff. And and that, and and Pep, I think is an example of that. And and that's Mourinho's great gift, by the way, even in the worst of times for him the last few years, he still had this unique ability on any given day to come up with a smart game plan to, to get a result. And, and by the way, Jose Mourinho is back. I mean, it's, this has got to be very satisfying for him because he's been kind of out of the picture the last couple of years. It's been all about Pep and Klopp and Zidane and guys like that. But he's got a really good team here. They're, they're, they're level on points with Liverpool top league, actually ahead on goal difference and, and, and firing on all cylinders. And, and they look like a team that's going to be there until the end. And so Jose Mourinho kind of back in the, in the picture here, which I, I know you're a fan of his, so, so you're probably happy to see that. I love him. I, I just love, <laughs> I love the personality. I love the, I mean, the talent. But I, I love that he wears his heart on his sleeve. I think that he is a master manipulator, and I and I look at that as a as a positive. Um, I think he's also a master motivator. Uh, I think, you know, at a time when there were a lot of people accusing him of uh, letting the game pass him by, this is this is a moment. But we also know that he <laughs> that he can, uh, you know, snatch uh, defeat out of the jaws of victory. Uh, and it can it can tr- it can turn south uh, very quickly. I'm not sure that that's going to happen right now, but it's it's fun to see. It's fun to see a, a Mourinho strut and and puff out his chest again. And I'll tell you, to hop back to Pep for a second, I'm I'm talking every week on this podcast about how year five that might be too many and it's gotten stale. And lo and behold, he signs a two year contract extension, which surprised me. Now some people are connecting the dots there. And saying he must have been given assurances that Messi is coming. But then you see other reports that say that City are kind of cooling on the whole Messi thing because of his age. And do we want to pay this massive contract for a guy at that point of his career? So with or without Messi, Pep's going to have to get a second win there. Because mm-hmm. I do think it's, it's, it's gotten a bit stale. That initial excitement that he brought there is kind of worn off. And, and, and if he's going to stay there another two more seasons beyond this one, he's got to kind of get things sort of going again. And and. And yeah, because right now, I don't think this season is going to be all that successful for him. I don't like the feel of that team. So uh, that was interesting that he signed a contract extension there for another two years. All right. Anything else England-wise? Uh, no, that's it. Okay. Did you uh, 
who who got the red card? Who, the headbutt? Did you see the headbutt from Pepe? Was it Pepe that uh, did it? Nicholas Pepe? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, we can spend a second on that. Arsenal. I just, I, I just you know, when there's a headbutt, I think I don't think you, I, I think you should always, in any podcasting situation, if there's a headbutt, I think it has to be. <laughs> well, uh, not even just a headbutt, but just Arsenal in general. I mean, uh, one goal in the last five Premier League games are languishing in the bottom half of the table. Arteta, he's had this ability to pull off a nice result against another one of the big six teams every now and then to sort of preserve some notion that he's building something there. He had to win away to United recently, an example of that, but just overall, they're, they're not playing great football. They don't score a lot of goals. And, and so I, I don't know, to me, the jury is still way out on him. Was it a red card? Uh, yes, I, I do think so. You think it was embellishment? <laughs> what's the, what's the natural reaction for a human being when somebody hits their head into your uh your yeah, brow back, i don't know of course <laughs> all right um all right let's move on how about uh how about we go over to let's well let's go over to germany all right and the uh, erlen holland show continues to roll on uh dortmund 5-2 away at hertha uh he gets his seventh eighth ninth and 10th goal i think four goal performance and he was sub and, and he was subbed out of the game and by the way subbed out for uh i was gonna say that's almost the bigger story <laughs> mukoku 16 years old gets his uh, his debut now is it is why is it why is it such a big story i mean isn't this what dortmund does i don't understand why this is such a big story well, but this this kid is starting extra young. He he, in fact, this past weekend became the youngest player in Bundesliga history, uh, uh, surpassing another uh, former Dortmund player, Nuri Shaheen, who did it. And and it, the interesting thing there is uh, the Bundesliga. The rules used to be that you had to be 16 and a half years of age to be eligible to play in a Bundesliga game, and they lowered that to 16 years of age. And a lot of people think it was specifically for this kid. It's been called the Mukuku rule uh, to enable this kid because even the Bundesliga officials think they have the next big star in world football in their hands. So they want to get him on the field as quickly as possible. And boy, Dortmund are really leaning into this. There's no sense of being patient. Let's not, let's not contribute to the hype here because he turned 16, Alexi, on Friday, the day before the game. And the next day, they put him in the squad and brought him into a game in the Bundesliga. So it, it leads you to believe that if it hadn't been for those restrictions, he would have been playing a long time ago. They think he's more than ready. And, you know, it's interesting. I don't, I don't want to give uh, one of our arch competitors uh, too much uh, attention here, but uh, Grant Wall just released a podcast documentary about Freddie Adu. And so it sort of dovetails nicely with this kid breaking through now because people are seeing some parallels. So it's kind of do interesting. You, do you think that this would be happening if it wasn't 2020? Like, do you, do you think that it's a... I mean, look, as I said before, Dortmund, it's not as if they haven't played young players. This is something that they do, as does Germany in general, uh, much more so than the rest of the world. Uh, and but but is it easier to introduce a young player in this sterile, stark, uh, less foreboding type of environment that we live in right now and play in right now? Maybe, but I've been hearing about this kid for a while. They seem super high on him, and I think they were going to get him on the field uh, fairly quickly, regardless of the circumstances. It, it is funny at Dortmund how there's always a, the next young player right around the corner that 
makes the the other one seem old by comparison. I mean, like Holland and Sancho are like veterans in that squad. Even yep. somebody like Gio Reyna, who just turned 18, he feels like something of an elder statesman now relative to this kid. And he's going to serve as something of a mentor to the to the 16 year old kid. So it's kind of funny with Dortmund. But yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we shouldn't forget about Holland. I mean, Dortmund were actually trailing this game at the half and then he explodes for four goals in the second half. The, the two Hertha goals, by the way, both by my boy, Mateus Cunha, who's having a very nice season. I think he's probably the third best striker in the Bundesliga right now behind Lewandowski and Holland, but uh, so, you know, Dortmund get a nice result on a weekend in which Bayern dropped points, which is a rarity. So uh, good combination of results. Well, I'll tell you what, Monsi, if I, at the age of 18, was ever asked to mentor anybody (laughs) younger than me, it would have been a complete and utter disaster for whoever that poor person was. (laughs) But it is amazing. It is amazing. Well, congratulations to him. uh, And Aaron, uh, you know, Holland is, is just phenomenal. And on, on uh, Mukuku, I, just, just to address the elephant in the room, there is some skepticism about this kid's age, which often accompanies these sorts of things. Germany uh, actually didn't play him at youth level for many years. They claim it was because they didn't want to contribute to all the media hype. But a lot of people think the reason is they were a little bit skeptical and didn't want to risk fielding him in some youth tournament and getting in trouble if it was later uncovered that he wasn't as young as he claims he is. So uh, it, it's an unfortunate part of the story. And listen, I, until, until I see any proof, I'm going to believe what he's saying, what everybody's saying about how old he is. But if you go on Twitter, I mean, any sort of reference to this kid is invariably met with tons of snarky comments from people being like, yeah, right. 16 years of age. So, you know. All right, Monsi, here's the question <laughs> for you. Um, and this is going to dovetail into city. Uh, if you can only have, Aaron Holland or Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who would you have? We're going to play one game. You're going to play one game right now. Whew. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's a good one. If I had to go play a game tomorrow, I honestly, I think I would pick Holland. I think I've already seen Damn. All right. Well, listen, uh, it wasn't four goals, but it was two goals. Uh, Milan go into Napoli and Milan doesn't haven't won in Napoli in years. I, I was reading he, Zlatan has scored in his first six league games, got two of the three. Uh, they end up winning three to one away. The man is on fire. He is as hot and, and as deadly as he has ever been and leading AC Milan and, and leading, uh, and, and leading Serie A, Serie A, but you'd still take Holland. All right. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, the, the story in Italy this season has been, uh, in my view of three different goal scorers, Zlatan, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and Romelu Lukaku. And, and all three had braces this weekend. Zlatan, as you mentioned, scored twice in AC Milan's win over Napoli. Uh, Ronaldo scored both goals in Juve's 2-0 win over Cagliari. And Lukaku scored twice and Inter's 4-2 win over Torino. They are the top three in the scoring charts right now. And when the dust settles, I, th- these might be the three top teams in Serie A uh, in some order, Juve, Inter, and AC Milan. I know right now you look at the table and Sassuolo's up there and, and Roma, who are actually playing uh, better than I expected. But I think eventually this might set up where you have the, the three leading scorers on the three leading teams. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch because week in, week out, these three guys are just uh, doing amazing things, finding the back of the net. Okay, let's uh, let's quickly go over to uh, to France. Uh, uh, let's go to well, let's go to first good PSG, and then we'll go to bad PSG. The good PSG is that PSG, um, boy, PSG beat Lyon in the first division, the uh, feminine first division, uh, 
giving Lyon's their first league loss since 2016. I mean, that is like, uh, that's like UConn basketball-esque type of success, right? So congratulations to PSG when it comes to the women's team. Now, when it comes to the men's team, uh, 10 men PSG losing to Monaco. Um, they still have a two-point cushion ahead of Lille right now, but not a good loss, especially because they were up to nothing, and then they let Monaco storm back. Did I see a Cesc Fabregas sighting? Is that what is that what I saw? I, I know he scored a penalty uh, when I was watching some of the highlights there, but not a good look for uh, for PSG when it comes to the men's team. Uh, yeah, no, Fabregas had a really good game, actually. Yeah, uh, PSG were up 2-0 at the half, uh, Mbappe with both goals, and then Kevin Vollen scored twice to equalize, and Fabregas got the winner from the penalty spot. Uh, very nice win for Nico Kovac, who's off to a pretty good start there on the Monaco bench. And yeah, more trouble for Tuchel, who's very much in the hot seat. Uh, so yeah, terrible result for PSG. Uh, Mbappe started this game, Neymar came on in the second half for the last 30 minutes. Uh, Tuchel has already said he's going to start the Champions League game they have coming up, which we'll get to in a minute. So, uh, so yeah, but <laughs> PSG, I keep saying they really haven't gotten going yet this season. They're still kind of all over the place. And this is, yeah, another example of it. All right. Well, you mentioned it uh, real quick. What, now, you, what, you, uh, you, you skipped over maybe the biggest story of the weekend from a domestic standpoint. I mean, <laughs> what did I say? you also skipped over Josh Sargent getting an assist against Bayern, but I wasn't going to quibble with that. But I don't know if we can blow off La Liga altogether. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did I did I miss uh, La Liga? God, that's did all I? right. No, let's let's roll with it. That's all not right. what happened in La Liga. All right, Barcelona is not as good as they should be, <laughs> and Real Madrid's faltering. And somebody's gonna, at least for the next couple of months, say that uh, that they're gonna win the league. And yet, when, when it all comes right down to it, it's either gonna be Barcelona, or Real Madrid. Yes or no? Uh, no I th I think no, perhaps this season. Okay. Uh, so right. Atletico Madrid beat Barcelona one 0 uh, Carrasco with the goal. And you see that, okay, Atletico, 1-0 win. You think it's a typical Simeone. They must have grounded out the result. But that's not what happened here. They were actually on the front foot for a lot of this game and could have won by more. Uh, they're playing some really nice football right now. Jean-Felix being the catalyst. They didn't even have Suarez for this game. He's still recovering from COVID. But when he's in there, he makes them even more explosive. So this is a slightly different Atletico team. I really like the way they're playing. And I don't think Barcelona or Real Madrid are that good. So this is a season where I could definitely see Atletico Madrid uh, winning La Liga. And uh, from the Barcelona perspective, I mean, it is just an absolute mess. They've, they've claimed just 11 of a possible 24 points. Uh, they're mid-table. And the Messi situation, I, don't, I mean, did you see his comments uh, yeah. getting off the plane? I mean, when he came back well, from I mean, the, the context, the to be fair, the guy had just been on a 15-hour flight from Buenos Aires back to Barcelona. Oh, after. He, had to, he had to fly all the way across in the <laughs> nice, comfy so, plane and seat. And then he had to actually talk when he landed well, so at as the soon as, as soon as the plane lands, uh, these tax officials get on the plane and, and grill him for another hour about uh, tax stuff while his wife and kids are waiting in the car to pick him up. So after all that, he finally gets off the plane uh, he gets swarmed by reporters who shove microphones in his face and start, start asking about comments that Antoine Griezmann's entourage have been making the last couple of weeks. Griezmann's brother and former agent have both popped off and said that Messi has too much power at Barcelona and they don't like the way Messi treats Griezmann and yada, yada. And so Messi, in the midst of all that, kind of, you know, exploded. It was like, you know what? I'm sick of being always being to have been blamed for all the problems at Barcelona. And so... Uh, I mean, it just look, I mean, we, we talked about this going into the season and, and a few months later, it just seems like the situation hasn't gotten better at all that his his mind is just not there. And, and I tell you, it's manifesting itself on the field. I know it's sacrilege to say this, but uh, he has not been that great this season. Uh, he's converting a lot of penalties, which is dressing up his goal scoring stats. And he's still capable of 
playing like a killer pass. I mean, his vision and passing is still incredible, but just his overall influence in the game, it doesn't seem as explosive anymore. He's kind of waffling about and body language isn't good. And so, and, and, and he wasn't very good this week. And then they lose to Atletico. They've already lost to Real Madrid this season. And so, uh, you know, and, to, and uh, I mean, I, I don't know. What do you make of this? I mean, I, I, we talked about Pep signing a two-year extension and people connecting those dots. Uh, so, I mean, are, are you to a point, you and I have both felt all along, better chance still of him, him re-signing, staying with Barcelona. Are you moving away from that a little bit and now starting to think there's a better chance and not of him leaving? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, if it continues on the, like you're, you know, like you're describing it. I mean, I, I have very little sympathy for the fact that people are asking him questions. Uh, this has been his life, so there's, I'm, you know, there's a there's a little small violin for for that. Um, but when it comes to what he is giving or not giving on the field, I mean, if he if he's not doing what he's being paid to do, then he's cheating his employer and he's cheating his fan base uh, and he's cheating the club and himself. I mean, if, and the, what he may perceive as injustice or he may perceive as uh, chaos or what he may perceive as disparaging comments or a situation that is oppressive to him, um, he may need some perspective. He may need some understanding about how most if, 90, if not 99.99999% of the world would love nothing more to than to be in his position. But once again, he lives and he will continue to live and has lived most of his entire life in, in a bubble that will not probably ever be punctured. And so... And by the way, it, a great note relative. from uh, our colleague, Jeff Hernandez, who's a name you're going to become folks are going to become very acquainted with in the coming weeks. Uh, Messi has been left out of the squad for uh, their Champions League game uh, against uh, Dinamo Kiev. So I think Ronald Koeman feels like he, he needs to like clear his head a little bit, maybe take a few days off here. So uh, they've left him out of the squad. <laughs> um, the other, by the way, the other bad Barcelona news to come out of this game is PK had a serious injury and is going to be out several months. So uh, they're, they're very, uh, short at the back right. now they so i mean it's it's uh yeah this this season is just falling can apart. he can he in january sign a pre-contract uh i believe so Messi, yeah. right i mean you can do it six months ahead so yeah, in yeah. theory if that's when he's if he's out we could know in january whether he's whether he's going we won't necessarily know where he's staying because theoretically he could he could still stay all right well it's i hope Messi's going to be okay Masi. i hope i hope he's going to be okay <laughs> Um, I think he is going to be okay. Uh, anything else, Masi? Yeah, and just whip very quickly. Oh, Champions League. Yes, league. yes. Whip around. Uh, what, a, uh, a, what do you see? A slew of teams uh, this week could clinch knockout stage spots. The two games I have my eye on are uh, Tuesday, PSG hosts Leipzig. It's a virtual must-win for PSG, and preferably by a result that gives them the head-to-head -head over Leipzig. They lost 2-1 in Germany match day three. Uh, as I said earlier, Mbappe and Neymar will both start that game. Uh, still not sure about Verratti. And then on Wednesday, you have Inter Milan hosting Real Madrid at the San Siro. Uh, Real Madrid with all sorts of problems. Sergio Ramos is out, and uh, Benzema and Casemiro are likely out, so their whole spine there could be missing for that game, which is why I expect Inter to win that one. Uh, but so th those, to me, would be the two biggest games to look for Champions League-wise this week. All right. Um, we're going to take another little break here. And uh, when we come back, we will have our Ask Alexi segment uh, with those questions, comments, and concerns that you have sent in to us with that hashtag Ask Alexi. So don't go away. Moving on.
All right, we're back. Uh, time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on all the uh, social media platforms. And uh, you send us in your comments, questions, and concerns. And uh, we pick a few each week as we did this week. Mossy, what do the folks want to know? Uh, first up, at Spitzo uh, Matic. Uh, Jurgen Klinsmann for Atlanta. Would you hire him? Hmm, interesting. So, you know, my biggest concern with Jurgen Klinsmann uh, as a coach manager is that I always felt that his forte and his strength was much better suited to big picture type of stuff, long-term type of stuff, um, aspirational type of stuff, as opposed to the nitty gritty nuts and bolts type of day in and day out type of stuff that a, a manager and a coach have or a more traditional manager and coach. So uh, probably not. I don't, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, and so by the way, that type of, description that I just just made lends itself much more to a technical director type of position and um, you know taking a step back and and looking at a big picture um, and so yeah I don't think that and I also think that when it comes to Atlanta I think they go back to that well and that well that is South America and it served them well. I think it resonated with the community. It resonated in terms of the style of play. And obviously, it resulted in some great success. And so I think that they look and say, we need somebody that is going to be, uh, be able to recruit, somebody that is going to be a, a appealing to potential players that are coming, especially those players from South America. So yeah, I, don't, I just don't think that he checks boxes for what Atlanta is or Atlanta wants to be or what Atlanta wants to, I guess, return to be uh, right now when it comes to uh, them hiring a coach. And, and who, you know, who was it? You were talking earlier in the pod about somebody, was it, was it Mourinho that you were talking about? Um, that you know, some, some coaches have just a better grasp on no, Pep. I say he's better the at the macro, not the micro. Exactly. Macro, micro. There you go. Exactly. So I, I think that Jurgen Klinsmann, uh, can be very good when it comes to a macro perspective. And I think he can cause a lot of problems when, when he gets into the micro. Uh, next up, uh, at day, day 09, what is your opinion of the FIFA rankings? Do they matter? Does anyone pay attention to it? You pay attention to them when they benefit you and you don't pay attention, uh, attention. You don't pay attention to them when uh, you don't look good. So, I mean, that's basically it. And, and for those that don't know, the uh, the FIFA rankings, they are important because they can put you different places in tournaments and seed you and do all that. Um, but there is a, you know, there's a calculation that ultimately spits out this, uh, th this list. And that's why oftentimes you will see teams, and it's depending on who you play and how many games you play and all, all that kind of stuff. And oftentimes it is, it, it is not reflective of the reality of the situation. And that I think is what frustrates people at times. However, I can remember when the United States crept up into the top 10 and we were the first one to trumpet the fact that we were in FIFA's top 10. So it, it, it shouldn't be used as a definitive type of gauge of where you are. But look, if the US is in the top 10, it's not just by some sort of hocus pocus or magic. It's they have done something in order to, uh, in order to qualify, in order for that calculation to put them into the top 10. And I think for a team like, for a team like the U S 
Yeah, it it is worthy of pointing of pointing to, but it's not it, it it's not ever, uh, everything. And it, it should be noted right now if people are are wondering right now in the FIFA um, in the uh, the FIFA rankings, the U.S. U.S. from a men's perspective is at number 20, uh, 22. Just for some perspective, Wales, who we just played, is at twenty. Senegal is at twenty one. Ukraine is at twenty three. Those are some teams that are surrounding us right now. When it comes to the women, it should come to as no surprise that the U.S. Uh, women's national team is number one in the rankings. And I don't think anybody, regardless of what calculation that you use, would quibble with that. Uh, just a little history here. Um, the World Cup seeding process used to be akin to the NCAA's uh, tournament selection process in which there was a committee and a bunch of guys would get in the room and uh, consider a lot of different factors and just kind of spit out a draw. And somewhere along the line, FIFA decided we got to make this more of an exact science. And so the FIFA rankings were introduced in late 1992. Uh, they held off for 94, but the first World Cup in which they factored in was 98. Uh, there were a few World Cups where it was a combination of your FIFA rankings and then your results in recent World Cups. And then starting in, I think, 2010, it's been all about the FIFA rankings. And given that it's pretty important now, they, they kind of feel some pressure to get it right and to figure out a formula that works and that uh, everybody's going to be satisfied with. So they keep tweaking it every few years. Uh, in fact, after the 2018 World Cup, they did another tweak of the of the uh, formula. But I don't know. They, they still can't get it to the point where everybody really feels good about it. There's there are these loopholes and countries have figured out that if you don't play a lot of friendlies, it's to your benefit because your average points are better. Uh, Romania, I read, actually hired a rankings expert to be part of their backroom staff to sort of figure out ways to game the system. Poland have been accused of gaming the system. You know, they were a seed in 2018, which was controversial. Switzerland was a seed in 2014, which was controversial. You mentioned the U.S. That is one of the examples that's often cited prior to the 2006 World Cup. The U.S. shot up to fourth in the FIFA rankings, which was crazy. Norway at one point in the 90s got up to number two. So there have been these head scratchers that have kind of exposed flaws in the system. So I don't know if they're ever going to get it totally right where there's going to be like total acceptance on the part of the soccer fan, but it's worth trying to fine tune it because if we're going to use it for World Cup seating, then it is very important and something that you have to pay attention to for sure. Look, everybody loves lists, so they're not going anywhere. They're always <laughs> going to be around and we will always argue and debate. And that is part of the reason why lists are put out to have us debate that. I'll tell you somebody that loves it. It is Rob Stone, you know, because he comes from that college football, college basketball background. So boy, whenever we cover international tournaments, he loves giving the seating and referring to top 10 matchups. And so, I mean, he, he's very much. <laughs> into it. All right. Uh, what else? And we'll end on this at real Matt Sears. Uh, who was your best center back partner in your career? Ooh, interesting. Interesting. So, um, from a national team perspective, I played with, let's see, I played with the likes of um, obviously Marcelo Balboa, uh, guys like John Doyle, guys like Mike Lapper, guys like um, Eddie Pope. Um, I, I mean, look, I had the most success and I think I'm most associated and rightfully so being next to Marcelo Balboa. And we we both loved to the physical nature of the game, both loved aerial nature of the game. I think he was much more, much, much more, but more cultured, uh, if you will, uh, and probably a better uh, player of the ball than I was. Um, and so I probably have to say him. I also at times played in a back four and times that I played in a back three. So for example, at times uh, with the national team, I was playing with guys like myself, Dooley and 
Eddie Popper, for, for example. Eddie was wonderful. Eddie was probably better than, than all of us uh, combined. And he was really, really fun to play. I played with him when he was a little younger. Then from a, a club perspective, you know, for example, when I was at the Galaxy, I was playing with in a back three with, um, uh, let's see, who, who was I playing with? Tyrone Marshall and Danny Califf. Uh, and I was much more in a sweeper type of role. But yeah, I'd, have, I'd probably have to say my good friend, uh, Marcelo Balboa, with all of our, our hair and uh, <laughs> all of our 90s flair going on. And we would just take turns crunching and crushing players. And I had a blast playing with him. I loved his, I loved his attitude and his approach to the game. You know, he knew what I could and couldn't do, and I knew what he could and couldn't do. And that, I think that's important in any type of pair. And um, so, yeah, I, I play say uh, Marcelo Balboa. Uh, because I'm a dork, I just called up a random Padova lineup from the 94-95 season. <laughs> Do any of these names remain into you? Uh, Franco Gabrielli, Andrea Quicky, sure. uh, Michel Creek, David Baleri. Who, is, who would be a center back partner out of that group? So, uh, let's see. Rosa would have been a center. Quicky um, is interesting. Um, he was one of these players. And every team and everybody I'm talking to right now knows this type of player. This player that if you saw him walking down the street, you'd never look at them and say, that's an athlete. That's a professional athlete. And, and yet they somehow had mastered the human body or their human body to be able to, to function on a professional level. And it, it didn't make sense. The eye test just didn't work with them. And yet when they got into the actual moment of the game, they were able to understand angles and they were understand how their body worked and, and so he was one of those uh, those type of guys. Uh, when you talk about, uh, I think you mentioned Gabrielli and Baleri. Those were both outside backs. Gabrielli actually scored against uh, Milan. Baleri went on to play for a bunch of different teams, including Parma. I'll never forget. I'll tell you this real quick story about uh, Davide Baleri. Uh, when I first got to Italy, almost the first week, they were running us through preseason. And we would go on these these ridiculously long and fast runs. Like it was sprint as long and fast as you possibly can. And this dude was like Frankie Haydick times three. And then he would proceed to go to the side or go to the locker room and smoke through a pack of cigarettes. And it was, I mean, I don't know what was, what was going on, but he was from a, a whole nother world when it came to the engine that he had. Um, <laughs> that he was putting nicotine uh, and smoke down it. I don't know if they'd enhanced it or different, but it was incredibly demoralizing and deflating to not just be run off the whatever course we were doing by somebody, but then to have that person go and smoke up a storm. So, um, and we played mostly in a back. This, this was a situation where you called it a back three, but it was really a back five, especially because we defended so much. So uh, anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, we're going to take one more quick break. And when we come back, I will have for you my one for the road. Don't go away. Moving on. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more. Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie. Formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. 
Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. All right, we're back, Mossy. Uh, I'm going to give you my one for the road. And I thought about what I was going to talk about today. And look, I, I'm not here to preach. Oh, and I'm certainly not here to tell you what to do. But Masi, uh, you do know that I turned 50 in the year 2020. Strange year, but you know, it will always be the year that I turned 50. Uh, so this is my, this is my PSA for, uh, for those of you out there. Uh, I did what many, many people that are listening have done. Uh, and it was uh, my first time. I got, uh, I got a colonoscopy. You know what a colonoscopy is, Masi? I do. Okay, so uh, when you turn round about 50, sometimes it's before, sometimes it's after, sometimes it's right on, and obviously I said I turned 50, uh, they recommend that you, get the, uh, that you get them. I do recommend that you, uh, you get them, whether you're 50 uh, or not, and certainly if you have any type of history when it comes to, uh, to family of problems, uh, you probably want to get them uh, even earlier. It, uh, it, it on, on its surface appears uh, daunting. I'm here to tell you that it's fine. Okay, the worst part of it is actually the prep. Uh, so without getting too graphic, because this is, uh, to a certain extent, a, a family pod here, uh, you got to flush out the system, Mossy, uh, in order for this to uh, uh, th this, uh, this situation to, uh, to happen and this procedure. That's a very short and simple uh, uh, type of procedure that, that happens. But for the previous 36 hours or so, uh, you are not eating anything and you're drinking what amounts to uh, a lot of Gatorade. And so uh, at one point I had, what was it? Like 64 ounces of Gatorade mixed with like nine ounces of uh, Miralax. And I'll tell you what, my friend, uh, the, uh, this stuff works and it works fast and it does exactly what it is intended to do. And uh, it, it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't a, a panic type of situation, but you're definitely not leaving the house. You're, you're in and you're making sure everything's going on. Like I said, I don't want to get gross. Everything turned out fine. Everything uh, seemed to look fine from uh, my doctor's perspective. And hopefully, knock on wood, that, uh, that stays for me and anybody else out there uh, that goes through this. The actual procedure is very min minimal. It's not, it's not painful. They put you out for the most part um, and you wake up, I don't know, 20 minutes. 25 minutes later, and uh, everything is done. Thank you to my anesthet anesthetist, Annie, 
she looked at me and said, all right, you ready? I said, Annie, I'm going to fight this all away. And she laughed at me. And that's the last thing that I remember. Uh, and then I woke up and I talked to uh, my good doctor and uh, everything uh, looked uh, fine. And uh, we will go on and we will continue to do that. But I do, you know, don't, don't be afraid of it. Uh, it's part of, uh, it's part of, and it's not just part of 50 year olds. It's part of a lot of people. And there's plenty of people that are younger that do it. Um, and if you do it, uh, I'm glad that you do it. You're, you're helping to uh, protect yourself. And obviously, uh, if there is a problem, you want to get to it as quickly and as early as possible, but don't be intimidated. Don't be, uh, don't fear the colonoscopy. It's got a, it's got a very intimidating type of name. Um, and, uh, and maybe they should call it something, uh, call it something else, but Everything's good, and uh, I will go on, and uh, I will know exactly what to expect when the next one uh, comes around. So something for you to look forward to as you go forward, uh, Mossy, and uh, all of the young pup pups that are, uh, that are out there listening, uh, but don't fear it. Mossy, anything else that you would like to mention when it comes to the world of soccer or just the world in general before we go? That is it. That is it. All right, we thank you so much for listening uh, and for reviewing and for downloading and for subscribing and for watching on all of the different channels out there. It uh, warms the cockles of our heart uh, that you spend a little bit of time with us each and every week. We hope you enjoy the podcast as much uh, and hopefully more than, uh, than we enjoy it because we have a great time doing, uh, doing it and we will be doing it again next week. Uh, same time, uh, same place. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week. I hope everybody is staying safe and sane as we get through this nutty 2020 and on to 2021. All right, we'll talk again next week. Until then, size the day.